We're going to talk about powerful lessons tonight. Now, I didn't say I'm going to give you a powerful lesson, but I said we're going to talk about them. You know, being in Ruston in the last uh, month, we've got some powerful lessons in heat, haven't we? Good grief. It's been like we're in the desert, hadn't it? It's been blistery hot. Uh, You know, school's starting back, and the teachers are going to be giving powerful lessons, whether that's... uh, uh, to uh, elementary t- school kids, whether learning English for the first time or le- learning proper grammar, or whether that's uh, PhD students at Grambling or Tech that are learning uh, the deepest and most complicated things there are. There are going to be powerful lessons being taught. And, and tonight in Judges 17, Judges 17, we're going to look at two powerful lessons in theology. You know, Theology is a big word. It can scare you, but it's, it's a simple word, really. It's made up of two Greek words. The first is theos, which means God, and ology means the study of. So theology is the study of God. It's the study uh, of the things of God. So Judges 17, and I want to look at two things from this. Uh, again, it's a bizarre chapter. If you've been with us much this, this year on Sunday and Wednesday nights. Judges is a very interesting and bizarre book. I warned you about that uh, early uh, early on, and it it certainly is. But let's begin with this um, with this powerful theological truth this evening. When your heart is off with God, you will be off center in your life. When your heart is not where it should be with God. You are going to be off-center in your life. Now, this is very important. I'm not saying a person who is a lost person or who is a Christian away from God. I'm not saying they're crazy. I'm not saying that they're off or that they're goofy. But, but fundamentally, when your heart is not in the right place with God, whether that's me or you or whoever, things with God are never going to be the way they should be. Listen Things with other people are never going to be the way they could be. And things with yourself are never going to be the way they should be. Uh, again, this is an interesting chapter. It, it, uh, it, it's another bizarro world story. In verse 1 and 2, it begins, Now a man named Micah from the hill country of Ephraim. Th- this just starts. I mean, it doesn't give you any kind of context or anything. It just, it, you know, Samson just got killed. <laughs> And now, now we're talking about a guy named Michael. This is not the, related to the Micah who wrote the, uh, the Old Testament book God wrote through. Ephraim was in central, central highlands of Palestine. And in verse 2 it says, uh, He said to his mother, The 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you, and about which I heard you utter a curse, I have that silver with me. I stole it from you, Mommy. Then his mother said, the Lord bless you, you little thief son of mine. Okay, is that not, if we just stop right there, is this not already weird? 1,100 shekels. How many of you remember that same amount related to Samson? Uh, That's what the Philistines gave to Delilah to portray Samson. So it's an enormous amount of money. That now, now the families in this day they uh, they may have all lived under the same roof. A lot of times, if a widow uh, would go live with her son or her son, so it may have been extended family living together. She her fortune is gone now. Shekel is a, is a a weight, 
And 1,100 shekels of silver is a whole lot of hope. Mine probably millions of dollars. Lots of money in our, in our time and in their time. And it's gone. And so she is, she is cursing whoever did this. She doesn't know who did it. She's cursing him. And Junior, not out of love of Mama or out of repentance, but I think out of superstition and fear, says, uh-oh, Mama, I stole your money. I mean, this is Jerry Springer type stuff, isn't it? And, and, she, and I don't watch Jerry Springer. I'm just saying it, it, this is Jerry Springer type stuff. And, and, and I heard you utter a curse, and, and I have the silver, Mama. I've, I've got it. And now she says, bless you, bless you, my little son. Bless you, bless you, bless you. And verse 3, when he returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, she said, I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord. Isn't that great? Isn't that awesome? For my son to make a carved image and a cast idol. <laughs> Not awesome. And I will give it back to you. Okay. It's awesome. She's going to dedicate this money to the Lord. And they're, they're talking about Yahweh, Jehovah God. And then they're going to say, okay, now we're going to make an idol. And this is absolutely forbidden uh, in, in the word of God. <laughs> and look in verse 4. So he returned the silver to his mother and she took 200 shekels. You see a problem there? I dedicated all the God, all 1,100 shekels. Here's 200 in the offering plate. See, y'all don't like offering plate humor, but I thought that's pretty funny. I commit everything to God except my time and my money. Amen and amen, right? That's kind of what she said. I've given it all, but no, I'm going to keep 900 shekels for myself. And she gave them to a silversmith who made them into the image and the idol, and they were put in Micah's house. Okay. Wow. They, here's the, the type of idols they had in this day. They had wooden idols. Archaeologists have uncovered these things in probably in this era, uh, same time frame. Wooden idols. They'd make little wooden calves, or as strange as may sound. They would have wooden idols that, were, uh, that, that metals or gold and silver were mixed in with, and sometimes they were literally silver or gold objects, maybe a cow or a a moon or whatever, and they would worship these things. And you don't have to know very much about God to know that this is strictly forbidden, right? So I'm going to give you this little tidbit. The beginning of the story, here's the Adams family of the Bible. How many of y'all remember the Adams family show? They break about six of the Ten Commandments in their house in one day. Isn't that awesome? He lies. He covets his mother's money. He steals his mother's money. The Ten Commandments says you have no other God besides me. You certainly don't make a carved image. You don't make, we don't make an image of a cow and put it up here and sing to it or worship it. I mean, right off the bat, the beginning of this story, this family who, by the way, appears to be very sincere, breaks about five or ten of the commandments. Now let's look in verse 7 through 11. A young Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, who had been living with the clan of Judah, left that town in search of some other place to stay. On his way, he came to Micah's house in the hill country of Ephraim. Micah asked him, where are you from? I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, he said. I'm looking for a place to stay. And Micah said to him, live with me and be my father. That's like be at a position of honor. And my priest, I'll give you ten shekels of silver a year. Your clothes and your food. So the Levite agreed to live with him, and the young man was to him 
like one of his sons. Okay, would you agree with me? Mom and dad's heart was off kilter <laughs> to begin, or mom and son's heart was off kilter. Okay, this Levite, now this is a strange thing. Levites are, are from the priestly caste or our lineage of Levi. Now there's 48 cities, this is interesting, that in the, the teachings of Moses from God that were designated for Levites. Bethlehem in Judah, where Jesus was born and David was born, was not one of these cities. So this guy was not where he should have been to begin with. He apparently is a roaming priest looking for a place to, uh, to go. And some scholars believe it was because the people in this time were not tithing and supporting the work of God. And so the ministers didn't have any support, which wasn't good. He takes 10 shekels of silver a year. That was a pay for a common laborer to be a private priest to Micah. Now, I want you to jump over to Judges 18 in verse 18 through 20. And this is the same story continued. It says, when the men went in, this is the Danites, attacked Micah's house later. They took this carved image, the ephod, and the other household gods and the cast idol and the priest said to them what are you doing they answered be quiet don't say a word come with us and be our father and priest isn't it better for you to serve a tribe and a clan in israel as a priest rather than just one man's household and the priest was glad and he took the ephod and the other household gods and the carved images and went along with the people we're going to look more at the priest stuff in, in just a moment but you know one thing that's interesting is, uh, is this guy who was supposed to be a servant minister of God sure looks like an NFL free agent, doesn't he? <laughs> and if you don't know anything about sports, a free agent's a professional athlete who doesn't have a contract with the team. And if he's really good, they shop themselves to find out a lot of times who will pay them the most. And it makes sense. A lot of times that's where they go. And this guy went and he became a priest for a private family. And then when a better option came... He went with them. How many of you think there might be a heart problem with this priest? Now, this priest thing even gets weirder. In the Old Testament, the priest and, and the, the people who worked in the tabernacle and the temple were descendants of Levi, okay? They were called Levites. And Moses and Aaron, brothers, right, were descendants of Levi. Now, so all Levites worked around the tabernacle and the temple. But only the descendants of Aaron were to be priests who actually worked with the sacrifices and those things. We know in Judges 18.30 who this priest descended from. There the Danites set up for themselves the idols. And Jonathan, this is the guy, this is this young priest, son of Gershom, the son of Moses, probably one of Moses' great-grandkids. And his sons were priests for the tribe until the time of captivity in the land. This may be a little complicated, but this guy wasn't even supposed to be acting as a priest in the capacity that he was. In fact, in Numbers chapter 3, verse 10, further over in the Old Testament, it says, Appoint Aaron and his sons, that's the direct descendants of Aaron to serve as priest, and anyone else who approaches the sanctuary must be what? So how many of you think God took that kind of seriously? That's kind of a serious thing. Everybody in this story is jacked up, aren't they? I mean, this is some goofed up, goofy people. And I want to tell you where it starts. This isn't mystical. This isn't, 
This isn't anything that's hard to understand, but it's exactly where we are in our world today. You're Micah. You're Micah's mother. You're this priest. When your heart is not where it should be with God, you're going to get yourself and other people in trouble. And when your heart's not where... Listen, these were sincere religious people. These were church people. This isn't a message to the person out there that never follows Christ. This is a message to religious people. When your heart is not where it should be with God, you are going to be off-center in every way in your life. Especially if you're a Christian. Have you ever known the person that just can't get along with anybody? Again, don't point. This isn't a raise your hand. It's me, yes. No, don't point or, or acknowledge it. You know, a lot of times we just say, oh, they're just hard to get along. They're just, you know, that's how they were raised. That's just, no, that's not just who they are. They weren't born to be goofy and mean. There's a heart problem there. That's a heart issue. I remember before I became a Christian, my dad and I, when I was 18 or 19, even when I was a little bit older, we would argue about things. We would argue about things in the Bible. And I just thought, he is so narrow-minded. And, and my dad wasn't a preacher, but he was a deacon. He was, he was very knowledgeable of the Bible. And, and I, oh, he's just, he's just too straight-laced. He's too tight. You know what happened? When I got saved, my father immediately became very smart and very right. Isn't that interesting? You know what happened? My dad didn't change. My heart changed. My heart changed. And when your heart's off base, you're going to be messed up. And, you know, and sometimes I remember talking to people, and I'm sure we could find this in Ruston right now, finding people who come to our church, which I'm glad they're coming to our church. But if you talk to them and you said, do you believe that sex outside of marriage is wrong? And they would say no. I've had people, and I'm glad they're honest with me, Say, no, hey, if two people, if, if they're consenting adults and they like each other and they care, it's okay. Here's what I've seen happen. I've seen those same people get saved. And you know what they say? You know what? That's wrong. I didn't suddenly become right. Their heart got right. Amen? 1 Corinthians 2.14. We looked at this a few weeks ago. Look at this verse. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. A lost person, he can't understand them. They're spiritually discerned. A lost person, you're trying to win an argument when you need to be winning a soul. Some of you, you say, well, my family member, my son, my daughter, my kids, my grandkids, my mom, my dad, my parents, they're just backslidden or whatever. No, they may just be lost. They may just need to get saved. And when they get saved, they'll be amazed how good their theology will become. Sometimes it's not they need to be saved, but they just need a heart renewal. They don't need a new heart, a heart transplant, but they need... Somebody to come in there and unplug the mess in their heart. And see, here's what's scary is when you get a minister like the Levite, or you get a connection group teacher, or you get a deacon, or you get a WMU leader, or you get someone who's working with the youth or the kids whose heart is not where it needs to be, and the influence corrupts throughout. You see, when your heart's off-center, Everything else is going to be off-center. Powerful truth, isn't it? 
Here's the second thing. You can't do God on your terms. You can't do God your way. Now, let me clarify this and say you absolutely can do God on your terms. It just will be absolutely wrong. (laughs) So can you do God on your terms? You bet you can. And it will be absolutely wrong. Verse 6. Look at verse 6. Now, you need, this is a stunner. In these days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. Do you see a huge problem there? Seven times in the book of Judge, this phrase is used. Twenty times in the books of Samuel's, in the book of Kings, it's used. Listen to me again. I believe Micah and his family and this priest were very sincere. They were just sincerely wrong. You see, I I mentioned this last week briefly. Sincerity doesn't make right. Well, boy, they're fired up, man. They're fired up. Zeal is great, but zeal doesn't make right. In Romans 10, verse 1 and 2, last week I shared this with you. I want to read them this week. Brothers, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for the Israelites is they'll be saved. For I can testify about them. They're zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Paul said, man, I want my fellow Jewish friends and family members to be saved so bad, they're zealous for God, but they're going to bust wide, hell wide open in their zeal and their sincerity. Folks, in hell today, there's a lot of sincere people who were sincere, even sincere about the things of God. You can be just as sincerely wrong as you can be sincerely right. And some of us justify how we behave or what we do or how we do God by saying, oh, God knows my heart. God knows my heart. I'm telling you, God's judging you by your feet as much as he is by your heart. You know what that meant? Verse 3 and 4. When he returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, she said, I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and a cast idol. I will give it back to you. Verse 4, so he turned the silver to his mama. She took 200 shekels of silver, gave them to a silversmith who made the image and the idol, and they were put in Micah's house. Good grief. Ten Commandments 1 and 2 are just blown away right there. By the way, they believe they are worshiping Jehovah God. They're just doing it on their terms. Doesn't get any better. Verse 5. Now this man Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod and some idols and installed one of his sons to be a priest. Doesn't this sound good? Shrine, there's the idea of kind of a, a miniature little temple. Folks, it's great to have a prayer room and a prayer closet and a place you do your discipleship and quiet time things. But a Jewish person in this day, Shiloh's where the tabernacle was. Ronnie and Paula didn't need to build a little temple in their backyard. That wasn't the will of God. An ephod was that vest that the priest wore. The priest wore these. They would put those weird little stones, the Urim and the Thummim in there, and they would use those to discern the will of God. This was not for me and Wayne to go to Walmart or to the seamstress and have made for us. And then then you see all these idols again. 
And it says he installed, which means he ordained one of his sons as a priest. Priest came from the, the tribe of Levi, from the lineage of Aaron. You didn't get to decide. Jeremy just doesn't decide, I want my son to be a priest in the Old Testament time. So, boom, I'm going to anoint you a priest. They were sincere, but they're doing God on their terms. Are you following me? Verse 9 and 10. Micah said, where are you from? I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah. I'm looking for a place to live. Micah said, live with us. Be my father. That's be the position of honor. And my priest, I'll give you some money and silver and your clothes. And the the goofy little guy says, yeah. You really think it's going to do you good with God to buy you a preacher? (laughs) For $250,000 a month, I am for sale. I'm teasing I'd get fired. I'd say something and it would be over quick. Well, it goes on, verse 11 and 12. The Levite agreed to live with him, and the young man to him was like one of his sons. Then Micah installed, he ordained him, and he became his priest. Wow. Not his job to ordain anybody in this day and era. This guy was from the Levitical line. He was supposed to assist the sons of Aaron, but he wouldn't be offering sacrifices. Bad, bad, bad. Look in verse 13. It's so happy. Micah said, now I know that the Lord will be good to me since his Levite has become my priest. That really pleases God. Hey, if you're religious and you're sincere and you mean well, and you don't obey God on his terms, God likes that, doesn't he? I mean, God just likes zealous Baptists to, who, who are zealous for religion and just do it their way. He's cool with that, isn't he? Well, I'm not going to read it, but in chapter 18, here's how cool God is with it. He sends the Danites, the tribe of Dan, to come in, and they smite Micah. They steal his household gods, and they steal his priests, and basically he can't do anything about it. In other words... It came full circle. Again, I think for a church, this is so important. You you, you can't substitute sincerity for being right. Should you be sincere? Absolutely. Should you be zealous? Absolutely. Do you need to be anchored and grounded in truth? You have to be. You have to be. Years ago... In a faraway place, it was not a private meeting. It was, in, it was several people there. A person said this to me. They had heard me teach and preach on prayer and talk about that prayer is not uh, a Santa Claus relationship. It's us and God and that God is, we, we approach God on his terms, not our terms. I can't live like the devil and expect to pray and have prayers answered like a saint. And this person was bitter and vile. <laughs> and I don't know if they were saved or not, but they were in church regularly. Here's what they said to me. God spoke to me. And God told me he hears my prayers regardless. And I was a little wimpy preacher at that time. And I kind of fumbled around and I said, well, 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 well. I don't think that's what the Bible says. They didn't care. Their life ended in a disaster. <laughs> Can I live like I want to and then just call on God to send me blessings? Are we real? 
Can, can, you, can you expect to live how you want to live and do God how you want to do God and then he's at your beckoning call when someone's sick or injured? There was a popular Christian writer several years ago made this statement. I want you to hear it. He said, sometimes to grow spiritually, you got to quit going to church and you got to quit reading your Bible. I'm going to give you one word for that, heresy. That is false teaching. The Bible says to go to church. The Bible's the Word of God. You are never going to be right and grow with God by disobeying God. I'll love Cindy more if I have a couple other women on the side. That'll help me love her more. I'll get shot in the back of the head is all that's going to do to me. You're not going to grow spiritually by cutting off the voice of God from your life. How crazy is that? But, but we do these things, don't we? Unfortunately, I'm afraid we're a lot like this guy. I, I hear people, I, I don't hear it much anymore, but, you know, occasionally you hear somebody go, well, we're just, we do church at our house. We do church at our house. Really? Here's a biblical church. Biblical. It's a key word. Biblical church has called and gifted leaders. Okay? So you, you, got, a, you got a pastor there. Well, I kind of do it myself. Yeah, I bet you do. Do, do, you, do you preach and teach? Well, we have a Bible study. Do you have someone leading worship? Because, man, you need to sing if you're a church. That's part of the gig. Well, we might sing a song when we're leaving. Do you pass an offering plate? Do you invite the people in your family, the all four of you there at your church, to tithe? And do you give to missions? Are you evangelizing? Are you discipling? You've not got a church. You've got a Bible study, which is great. That doesn't substitute for a church. You just don't want to be under the authority of a church. That's your problem. I can't make up something and call it what I want and think God's okay with that. Let's do a little test this evening. How are you and I doing God on our terms? Maybe God right now, the Holy Spirit, is speaking to you and he'll put his finger on something in your life. Let me give you a few examples. We live in an era where uh, statistics are, are overwhelming, where people are not coming to church as much anymore. Y'all are going to hold us accountable for the attendance, but that's across the board. People just, I'm talking about Christians, church people. They just, you know, if we're, we're gone this time or this time, that's, you know, and what, what can we do? Scream at you? Show up at the lake and poke a hole in your boat? I mean, that'll work. I know you worship in the deer stand as well as you do at church. No, you don't. No, you don't. Do, do you come to church? Is it a part of your weekly commitment as obedience to the Word of God? Or do you, you fit it in when it fits in? Let's get even a little more personal. What about your money? Do you tithe 10% to your church, no strings attached? Or do you, you give God what's left over? I can't afford to tithe. I, I'm going to tell you from my experience, I can't afford not to tithe. Hmm. It always gets quiet when you mention that. Hey, we live in a day morally. Here's what people are saying all the time. They're taking the Bible and they're saying, well, it really doesn't mean this. It really doesn't mean that. And that sexually, you know, this is, things are different, whatever. And God understands, or God didn't really mean this. And I want to tell you, yes, he did. I 
I can't just decide morally what I'm going to do with the Bible or not do with the Bible. I, I can, but that's doing it on whose terms? My terms, not God's terms. How are you and I doing God on our terms? It'll never work out well. You see, as a church, we're not called as a church to be the best Methodist church we can be, the best Catholic or non-denom or charismatic. Hey, we're not even called to be the best Baptist church. We're called to be the best biblical church we can be. So let me throw this at you as we bring it together. How's your heart, number one? Great indicator of your heart is how's your feet? Are you doing life God's way or your way? If you're here tonight and you've never given your life to Christ, getting saved is getting a heart transplant. It'll change you. And you need that tonight. And you can come when we stand and give your life to Christ. I want to challenge you to do that. Maybe you're here tonight and you'd like to join our church. One way you can do it, you can do it after church. Or you can come this evening and you can join. We'd love for you to. Or maybe you're here tonight as a Christian. And honestly, you're doing pretty well. Your heart's where it needs to be and you're trying to do things God's way. Keep it up. Maybe you're not. Where you're standing or at the altar, you come tonight and get things right with Christ. Let's stand and you come now as we sing.